0: Start in verse 5 again. And today we are finishing our study, a kind of a sub study in our bigger study of the book of Romans on human government. Began several weeks ago in verse 1 talking about the responsibility we have to be in submission to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which comes from God. And uh, today we kind of bring this to a close. Next week we'll finish up chapter 13 by looking at the last paragraph. And then we'll have Palm Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and we'll take a little bit of break from the book of Romans, and then we'll come back to chapter 14, and we'll start talking about the issue of Christian liberty. And I look forward to that study as well. And it will take us a while to get through chapter 14 and 15. Today we talk about debt and taxes. Not death and taxes. Debt and taxes. And so he says to us here in verse 7, Pay to all what you owe. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom Revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment is summed up in this one word, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So he says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. And he tells us to pay that which we owe. And then he talks about love as the fulfillment of the law. And he talks about part of the Decalogue, the last table of the Ten Commandments, and he enumerates out several of them, and he says to us, You shall not steal and you shall not covet. You shall not murder. And I just want us to think for just a minute when we owe something to someone else and we don't pay it, then what have we done? We have stolen. Stolen from them. And so are in love, we are to pay our debts. And what we see here is he enumerates that out in these verses when he says to us, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom you owe respect, and honor to whom you owe honor. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer as we begin this part of our study today and uh, ask the Lord's blessing on our time together. Lord, we thank you for your word. As we talk about this subject today, as we just dive into your word for a few moments this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would instruct us that, Lord, you would help us as a people that we would think of the importance of paying what we owe and how if we don't pay what we owe, Not only do we break your law, we undermine our testimony and we diminish your glory. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us as your children, that we would walk as salt and as light in this world that you've called us to be, that, Lord, we would be a good testimony for you by the way that we observe your law. And so we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I mentioned to you last week In verse 8, when he says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, he is not there primarily talking about your personal finance. He's not saying to you it's wrong for you to have a credit card. He's not saying there to you it's wrong for you to have a mortgage. He's not saying there that it's wrong for a Christian to have any debts. In fact, if you read the Scripture in totality, you will find that it is basically presupposed that as we go through life, at times we incur debt. Uh, We had a Scripture reading this morning about a couple, a family, that was in debt and how God actually stepped into the prophet Elisha and as she is now widowed, how God meets her needs and blesses her uh, but it was really in proportion to her faith, wasn't it? It's an amazing thing when she turns to her son and she says, Go get another Tupperware. And he says, There are no more. That's all we got. And she's probably saying, Oh man, I wish we would have got 20 more. It was in proportion to her faith. And so we're not going to talk completely about personal debt today, but we're going to talk about it for a few minutes. And then we're going to talk about taxes. So we're talking about debt and taxes. We're going to think about some things that are important here, and this is really a lot of teaching. I'm not just going to be preaching at you this morning. It's going to be a lot of teaching going through just some of these concepts, but I want you to listen and I want you to stick with me because these things are very important for the way that we live our everyday life. And our testimony for the Lord in our community and with our family and in the church. The way we operate financially uh, that we might bring glory unto the Lord. And so I want you just to think about these two verses. When it talks in the scripture about debt and and debts that we might incur. And, And this first one is in Psalm 37 verse 21. He says, the wicked borrows and doesn't pay back. In other words, what is he saying? The person who does not pay back what he borrows is what? Wicked. It is a wicked thing. In Proverbs 3, verse 27, he says, Don't withhold good from those to whom it is due. That's exactly what we're seeing in this verse when he talks about something that is due. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Don't say to your neighbor, go, come again tomorrow, I will give it to you. When you have it with you. the Wicked borrows, doesn't pay back. Let's think about some things that are wicked. We are accumulating a national debt That is immoral. It is flat wicked because there's no way to pay it back. You know, when you just think about the level of debt that we are incurring in our nation, our national public debt stands at $22.3 trillion. As of 2018, about one-third of the public debt that we owe as a country was held by foreign governments and investors. As of June 2021, China and Japan hold the most US debt, respectively, at 1.2 trillion and 1.06 trillion dollars. Think of the amount of debt that we are indebted to China. Not a good thing. Rounding at the top five of the UK for billion, Ireland and Luxembourg. Last year, the interest payment alone on our national debt was $378 billion. In 10 years, it will be $928 billion, nearly a trillion dollars a year. That's just our interest. We are accumulating a debt that is immoral, Because it is burdening the next generation. We are borrowing with no ability to pay back, which God says is what? Wicked. Wicked. And it is directly going to hamper the next generation and the next generation and their ability to flourish and to prosper in this land. It is an immoral thing. Our country is setting this this, this uh, I, I guess you'd say, target. It is, it, they are building this momentum in our land, and yet, what do we find? We as individual people follow suit. And so we are either electing people who will do it because that's the way we live, or we are living that way because they exemplify it. But whichever way, there's a direct hand-in-hand here. To where not only do we have huge national debt, we have huge American consumer debt. And we are living in, t- in, in, in more and more bondage to debt. And, and I don't want to just pass judgment on that today. If you're where you are today, how you got there is how you got there. But one of the things I want to stress to you as we go through this is get out of debt. Get out of debt. Make it your every endeavor to get these debts paid off. Now, I got, some, I got some statistics off of Dave Ramsey's website, and I trust Dave Ramsey on this subject. He's a good one to think about when you think about debt. So let's think about some things. Let's think about American consumer debt, credit card debt in America. These are debts per household. So if we think about credit card uh, in America today, there's $787 billion tied up in credit card debt, which amounts to the whopping number of over $14,000 in the average household in America of credit card debt. Student loan debt averaging 58. Auto, 31. Mortgages, $202,000. let us break this out a little bit and think about some things. Think about American consumer debt. Eight out of ten adult Americans use credit cards. I'm not saying that it's wrong to use a credit card. I am not saying that. I'm not going to do the Dave Ramsey thing and have you cut it up. That's not what we're talking about today. Eight out of ten Americans use credit cards. It's a tool, and I'm not going to dish that. But over the, uh, of that percentage, think about this. 45% are not using their credit card the way it should be with, used, which is to use it as a checkbook. Right? Pay it off every month. 45% are carrying a balance Without average here. Average APR, look at that percentage rate. Wow! I wish I got that in my money in the bank. <laughs> right? Credit card companies in America, these credit cards are making $134.8 billion dollars on interest annually why? because we gotta have it, we gotta have it, we gotta have it and we're a covetous people and we're greedy and we surf the internet way too much and the internet knows us better and our spending habits know us it knows us better than we know ourselves and it markets to us so slickly think about The fastest-growing debt in America is student loans. Since the Great Recession, that has gone up by 157%. Auto loans are held by 37% of American households. Average debt for a depreciating asset, which is a car, $31,000. Average monthly payment for a new one is that, and a used one is that. Now, I will parrot Dave Ramsey here. If you're in bondage on this page, sell the dumb thing. Right? (laughs) Sell the dumb thing as long as you can get your money out of it. You can drive a clunker. It'll get you there. Don't be in bondage here. This one's probably a little bit easier to manage. Oh, credit card's pretty easy to manage for the most part. Think of our mortgage debt. Now, the mortgage debt, most American homes, this consumes the biggest piece of the monthly pie. And we all get that, right? We understand that. Average mortgage in America is that, and the average payment is that. You fit yourself into that equation somewhere. You know, we live in Star Valley right now with just hugely inflated housing prices, and it's very, very difficult to understand that. We know that, obviously, and that's why when we think about these things, you know, in my mind, and as we look at the Scripture this morning, not all debt is the same. Not all debt is the same. There is debt that gives you leveraging ability and can produce lift in your financial life. There is debt that works like a boat anchor and will drag you down into the abyss. And you need to be very careful. When we think about debt, when you think about your personal finance, and you think about the way you steward your money before the Lord, you know, debt can be a tool. And I'm never going to be someone who says that it's not a tool. That I mean, there is good debt, I believe. Somebody may take that, take me to task for saying that, but I believe that there is good debt um, because it is appreciating and it allows you to get some leverage and some lift financially. There's also most debt in America, does the other. It is tying people down and it is destroying their financial house and it is bringing them down as a family and those are the debts you need to get paid off. You need to analyze them as a couple. You need to analyze them as an individual. You need to look carefully. You know, even think about student loans. Why am I going to college? What am I studying? You, you know, going to college, it's not a good reason to go to college just so you can be in a frat house and you can drink. That is not a good reason to go to college. It's not a good reason to go to college so you take the next step and grow up. No, grow up while you're in high school. When you go to college, you need to have a plan. It is way too much money to go to college and just spend money while you try to figure life out. Figure life out and then go to college, um, if you need to, to get the education. But don't just rack up Tens of thousands of dollars of debt, young person, and saddle your future and your family with that debt, and you had no reason why you even went. You didn't even know what you were doing when you went there. Now, how about ministry debt? How about ministry debt? You know, I I grew up in a church that routinely borrowed money. If they wanted to build a new building, they just borrowed money and paid it off later, and they expanded quickly by doing that. Um, They they looked at Scripture, and they said it was okay, and that's what they did as a ministry. Now, I'm not going to say it is completely wrong in every case for ministries to go into debt, but as a church, and I want you to understand this, because a lot of you are new over the last few years, and we haven't built buildings or done huge capital expenditures in the last number of years. I want you to understand something, that when... We you know, set up the, the financial direction of this ministry and the direction we would go. We said before the Lord, if the Lord wants us to have a building or do things, He can pay for it up front or as we go, but we will not incur debt. And the reason we did that, and I think this is important. I want you to understand the reason we did that is we as leadership in the church wanted to model some things to you. One is that you can trust God. You can trust God with your money. He will provide. And if he wants you to have it, and it is a need, he will supply it. Okay? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can do it. He can sell some cows. You've heard that before. You know, He can just go sell some cows. And he'll always do it when the, when the market's in his favor. So, we wanted to model to you trust. The other thing is this. We want to model to you stay out of debt. It is a good way to live. I'm not saying you don't have to get a mortgage or do some things in order to leverage your financial house, but as quickly as you can, pay off your debts. It is a wonderful thing when you see your check every month and you know that everything that is in that check is essentially yours. It's not going to creditors. It's your check. Oh, you got to pay your light bill and those kind of things but it's your check. That is a wonderful place to be financially, especially when you have to go put $5 a gallon diesel in your truck right now, right? Okay, how about American Consumer Debt? These are just the numbers that reflect our reality. I'm not passing judgment on where you are. Where you are is where you are. You know where you are. But when you look at where you are, what I want you to think about is intentionally. And I put the word there intentionally. Because if you don't do things intentionally in life, if I don't do things intentionally in life, it don't happen. Right? It just doesn't happen. So intentionally come up with a plan. And you may need to go to Dave Ramsey's website and look at the you know, the, the, the debt snowball thing that he lays out and how you can use that to get out of debt. But you need to intentionally get on a plan to reduce your debt, to stay out of a debt, and allow the Lord to control your covetousness. Which is your sinful heart and my sinful heart. Because usually that's what gets us into debt, is our covetousness. Okay, so he says there are four responsibilities we have. Those four responsibilities, and I want you to notice again in the text, he says, pay to all what is owed to them. He says, pay your taxes, pay revenue, respect, and honor. Let's think about those four things. He says, taxes, revenue, fear, honor. What do these things mean, and what is he looking for? What is our responsibility in these four categories? First, what I want to mention is just the word fear. If you look at that word in its context in chapter 13, he is talking about the avenging power, the government, and the sword. And he says, if you do what is good, you have nothing to fear. And he says that basically three times in verses 3, 4, and 7. And so he is talking about a category of governance that really governs by fear, which is law enforcement, which is, you know, the judicial branches, and he's saying to us there, we owe fear. Now, he's not saying it in the same sense as he says at other places in Scripture that we fear God. Obviously, ultimately, we fear God. We don't fear man. And the fear of man brings a snare. Nevertheless, there is a category of something that we owe here. We owe fear fear to those whom fear is due. In other words, one of the ways, hopefully, it's in your heart to obey the law because it is in your heart to do what is right before God. But there is an also an element of this that is just simply saying that we do the right thing because we understand the downside of Of doing the wrong thing. And that's kind of what he's getting at here. So we pay that. We owe that. We owe that to ourselves. We owe it to God. We owe it to our community. To do the right thing. Second thing he also says here is honor. Now, when you think about the word honor, just think about a lot of times we say, what about a judge? He is the honorable. The honorable so-and-so. He is a judge. And so we can think about it that way. But I also want to think about it other ways, and I want us to think about how this verb, to honor, is so important in undergirding all our relationships. So the most fundamental relationship that we have is what? As we come into this world, the first people to whom we show honor is who? Mom and dad. And so what is the commandment? Honor your father and mother. This is the what? First commandment with a what? Promise. That it may be well with you, that you may live in the land and prosper. Now think about what he's saying there. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. He doesn't say it's the first commandment. What's the first commandment? The Lord of God. The Lord is one. You should love him with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. All those things that flow from that. What He's saying here is this. This is the first commandment in time that you learn, in time that you learn, in your life, you learn to honor your mom and dad, and it is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. And what is the promise that is attached to it? Is what? You'll be blessed. If you disobey mom and you resist mom and dad and you are rebellious, you're not going to be blessed. Why? Because you're a rebellious person, and you are also going to be dishonoring other entities. So in the Westminster Catechism, this was understood. So question 66, 63, you don't have to read this with me, but notice with me, which is the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment is honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. What is required in the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment requires the preserving of the honor and performing the duties belonging to, notice this word, everyone in their various places and relationships, as superiors, inferiors, and equals, or equals. So what did they say? The fifth commandment was not intended by God to just teach you to honor mom and dad. It was taught, or it was intended by God to teach you to honor mom and dad so you would also honor government authorities. So you would honor your boss so you would honor your spouse. And what he's saying is, if you don't learn to honor mom and dad, then you will never learn to relate correctly to other human beings in an honorable way. Moms and dads understand something. If you let your child treat you with dishonor, you are doing them a tremendous disservice. You are hampering them for their entire life. That is why God says to you, as a mom and as a dad, you have the responsibility to discipline your child and to teach them to honor you. It's so easy to say, Well, you know, I just want to be my kid's buddy, I just want to be their friend. You know what? There's plenty of life to have your kid as your friend start out the job by establishing who is in control and who is in charge and that that child is to honor you. And when they dishonor you... You know, men, if we see our children treat our wife with dishonor, men, we need to jump on that. This is important stuff. And so he says, honor... Revenue. What is revenue? This is just other streams of government income. This is the way I understand this. This word is pretty, pretty vague in the original language. He mentions taxes, but he also is telling us here that governing authorities have means that, they're available, that are available to them to raise funds from other sources. And he's basically telling us that's not wrong. Uh, I'm a public lands grazer. I run cattle on BLM ground. Because my cattle are on BLM ground, I am expected to pay every month how many cows were on that ground to pay an allotted fee. It's revenue. It's wrong for me to not pay that, right? Because I use the resource. And as a wise steward and as a manager, I need to pay that. So when Ted Bundy, well, not Ted Bundy, who was the guy, Cliven Bundy, that was down in Nevada, you know, just refused to pay the BLM, and he'd grazed on it for all those decades. It's not right. And so there are revenue streams, you know, there's ways that government raises money through fees through assessments, through registrations, etc., cetera, et cetera. Now, we can look at that and we can say it's exorbitant. I'm at the point where I'm just like sick and tired of paying at the gate in Yellowstone because it just goes up, right? And there's no end to it. Nevertheless, if I don't want to pay that fee, I just don't got to go right through Yellowstone, right? I got to make a choice, And so the government has the capability to raise revenue. It's not always just. We can look at it and say sometimes it's just like over the top. But we need to work to reform the system that allowed those fees, but we must pay that which we owe. That's what God is telling us. Now, what is a tax? Here's another one. Let's talk about taxes for a minute, because God expects us to pay taxes. So, in Black's Law Dictionary, here's what a tax is. The essential characteristic of a tax is that it is not a voluntary payment or donation. It is an enforced contribution. It is exacted pursuant to legislative authority of a sovereign state on persons or property within its jurisdiction for the purpose of defraying the public expense. So let's think about these six things. I think it's six of them. Number one, it is not a voluntary contribution. It is enforced. They don't pass the plate. When you come to church, we pass the plate. Whatever you want to give before the Lord, that is free to your get, for you to give. That's not what the government does, is it? They don't pass the plate. It is not a voluntary contribution. Secondly, this is important, it is enacted by legislative authority. So the legislature has the responsibility in the United States of America to exact taxing. And so taxing authority is in the legislature. Another thing is it is enforced by a sovereign state. That's an important one. If you have a pizza joint in New York City and the mob boss comes to you, and says, if you want to stay in business, you're going to pay this every month. That is not a tax. That is a what? It's a bribe. Okay, so it is done by a sovereign entity, a governing body. Otherwise, it's just corruption. It is bribery. There is no expectation before the Lord that we participate in corruption. It is also exacted on persons or property. This is an important one. It it, it, it proves a jurisdictional relationship. Uh, I mentioned this to you once along the way as we've been going through Romans chapter 13. I I'll remember when. It might have been in Sunday school. But um, it is said by... And I can't bring... Uh, I, I'm brain-dead to bring the guy's name up today, another legal authority who said the power to tax is the power to destroy. The Power to tax is the power to destroy. And so it reveals jurisdiction. That is why the state, we mentioned this before, has no jurisdiction to tax the church. Because the church is not under its jurisdiction in that sense, as an entity. And then it is used to defray the public expense. It's not used to just line the pockets of the politicians in power. It is to be used to defray the public expense. So these are the essential elements of a tax. So when he says here to us, pay your taxes, what does that mean? It means this. This is what we're talking about. Taxes then. In the first century, these Christians are living in a city. It is the city of what? Ephesus? What book are we studying? Rome. Right? These people are living in Rome. Rome is the capital city of what? Empire. The Roman one, okay? The Roman one. Are you with me this morning? So, if you are in and under the jurisdiction of the Roman Empire, there were taxes that were levied upon you. Then, as now, people looked at them and said they are far too heavy. But God is still saying to these believers, pay them. Now, in the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire became the Roman Empire by doing what? Conquering other nations. So Rome conquers Greece. Rome conquers what we think of as Turkey today. It conquers Northern Africa. It conquers Palestine. It spreads out through that entire region. So you have sovereign states like Ukraine that wants to be gobbled up by Russia. And when that sovereign state was governed or gobbled up into the Roman Empire, one of the things that was expected of each of those countries was this thing it was called a tribute. A tribute. And a tribute would be a tax that was placed on the country. And that tribute was exacted by the empire. And so Palestine, Northern Africa, or Greece, had to pay a tribute to Rome. It was up to each entity to decide how they got their tribute money. The way they got it in Greece might have been different than the way they got it in Carthage. Rome didn't care. All that Rome cared was they got their tribute. Now, wherever you lived, if you lived in Palestine, you're under a governor. His name may be Herod. And he is going to tax you to pay the tribute. And God tells us, even though you hate to do it because you are no longer a sovereign state and you are now gobbled up in this empire, you as a Christian need to pay it. That's what he says here. Second one, poll taxes. These are just point of entry taxes uh, that, you know, and basically what he's saying is when something is entering the economy, it would be taxed. And this was part of the governance in the Roman Empire. And these are the taxes that were exacted by who we call the publicans. Right? We read about them. They were all hated, like Zacchaeus and others. They were exacting poll taxes. And so what they were doing, is, as goods are entering into the economy, they are exacting a tax on them from the individual that is inserting that good into the economy. There were census taxes. This is like in Luke chapter 2. When Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem to be registered, the word registered is speaking of a census tax. There was also a temple tax, which was a national Jewish tax. That's the tax that Jesus pays by having Peter go fishing. That's the taxes then. They had a bunch of them. They had a bunch of them. Now, it's interesting. Rome's never-ending problem exactly mirrors us. When we look at the spending, we see the imperial government was spending the majority of their taxes on both the military or free bread and entertainment for the poor. According to historian Joseph Tainter, those who lived off the treasury were more numerous than those who were paying into it. Wow, doesn't that sound familiar? That sounds very familiar. And yet what God says is what? Pay your tax. Pay your tax. You may not like it. You may look at that and say this is not just. It's bread and circuses. And and those people don't pay anything. What God is saying is as Christians we have a responsibility. And it is to pay that which we owe. Even when the system doesn't seem just. Now taxes now. Uh, We have income taxes, we have sales taxes, we have excise taxes. Those would be like the sin taxes they talk about when they're going to tax a certain commodity. We have payroll taxes. We have our property taxes. So even when you get your mortgage paid off, you still have the never-ending what? property tax every year. And we have estate taxes. So they get you even when you die. Two important concepts. There is a difference between tax evasion and tax avoidance. I I think as Christians just it, it is not a sin to minimize your tax burden by being smart. You are a much better steward of the money that God entrusts to you than the government ever will be. They have proven by a long track record that they are not good financial planners nor managers. Do everything in your power to legally minimize your tax burden. That's not dumb. That's not sin. And do not look at your withholdings every month or every week as a savings plan. I've had people tell me this. You know, I just make sure they withhold a lot of money so at the end of the year I get a lot of money back. Then I got some money to go on vacation to Disney. Keep your money and put it in a can if you want. And then go to Disney, but don't give it to them. Do not look at your withholdings. You know, when you think about how you do your exemptions and all that stuff, don't look at your withholdings as a savings plan so that after April the 15th, you got some money. All that shows me is you have no discipline in your life. So get a hold of that one, and we're about done. Here's my important caution. I want us to beware the debtor ethic and worship. He says here, pay what you owe. But listen. Every one of us had a debt we could never pay. Jesus paid that debt. He did it when he died for you. When he died for me. I never want you to think of your worship to God is coming to worship to pay back God for what he did. That is a slap in the face to his grace. We can never pay it back. For all eternity, for all eternity, if you are saved, you will know that the only reason you are in heaven is because you were a bankrupt sinner and Jesus paid your debt. So when we think about these verses, and we think about what God is telling us about economics and our responsibility to our society and to governance, do not translate that in your heart to worshiping the one true God. You'll never pay that back. And if you try, you miss the whole purpose of the cross if you come here and you think, I am doing these things to just pay off as much of my debt as I can, you totally missed grace. You totally missed it. Jesus died for your sin. He was buried. He rose again. This is the message I preach to you. Trust in him. Let's close in a word of prayer. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. Lord, we want to be responsible as citizens of the kingdoms of men. But Lord, in a greater sense, we want to be responsible to you in the way that we worship you. Lord, not just out of obligation, not because of some debt, but out of gratitude. Gratitude that you came to us in our brokenness and in our need, and you paid what we could not pay. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Would you stand as we sing our closing song together? Let your children gather in peace. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word, for the practical truths, Lord, that we we learned and we gleaned today. Lord, we pray that we would be good stewards, that when people look at us, Lord, they say there's something different about them, there's something that stands out, that they may see you ultimately, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the ability to be used by you in this world, the dark place that we live, Lord that you would allow us to be your hands and your feet, that you would allow us to spread life, Lord, help us as we live out the light that you called us to be, that we would do it well until you call us home in Jesus name.